Good morning, Spring Brook. You look so chipper with that extra hour of sleep. All right? Thank God for that extra hour. I love it. Well, we want to talk to you about our marriage retreat that we had this past weekend, our Heartstrong Marriage Retreat 2013. You see in this next slide that uh, we have uh, Lake Lawn Resort up in Delavan, Wisconsin, where we were at. The next slide you'll see uh, us meeting together. We had 24 couples there. Next slide you'll see uh, David Howie, who did a great job of leading us and giving us a lot of practical techniques and growing a stronger relationship with our spouse. Uh, here we see a picture of Mike and Jackie Duggar. It was really interesting that three of the couples that were on the retreat had only been coming to Springbrook for two months. <laughs> okay, isn't that cool? Two months. In fact, one first came to our parenting workshop. Uh, so we see how the Holy Spirit is uh, using and moving uh, in different ways in our midst. Uh, next slide here we see uh, Anna Michelle Stewart. Oh, thank you. And uh, then the next slide we see uh, uh, Brandon and Lindsay. They're right down here. Yeah. And uh, they were the uh, uh, had married. 11 months you've been married. Is that right? Okay. So they were the least married, I guess you could say. But uh, we just rejoice with them. And back, Brandon uh, had a real desire to be baptized up there. So we had a baptism service. That was really cool. Yeah. It's cold, though. I was really impressed by that. <laughs> wow, that is cold water. Yeah. Way to go, Brandon. Praise God. All right. Uh, of course, Dean and Deanna Brand. Then we also had uh, Dick and Chris Schmidt. And here's a picture of, oh, Rich and Carolyn. Uh, about 35% of the retreat was spent just talking to one another, just sitting just like this in two chairs, uh, just talking with one another. And a lot of people said in the past about this retreat that that was the best thing. They never have talked so much to their spouse in a long, long time. And uh, Richard was a key leader in putting this retreat together. We appreciate his leadership. And Shannon Marku, our HeartStrong uh, directors, we appreciate them. And here's a group picture. So thank you for making this available uh, to our people. Uh, again, uh, half uh, of it was paid by HeartStrong uh, funds in order to build strong marriages. And again, our culture is working against that, so we have to work even harder to see Jesus Christ released in marriages. Well, let's uh, go back to the life of Elijah. I talked today about playing with fire. Let's look at our map here and give you an overview if you haven't been around about what's going on in Elijah's life. We started out, if you look at the Sea of Galilee, right in the middle of there, number one, Tishbe, that's where Elijah was born, the mountain man, the unrefined, unsophisticated, straight shooter who spoke on God's behalf. And we have the northern kingdom here, uh, which uh, you had the southern and northern kingdom after the Civil War, after Solomon died. Uh, God was judging the people of Israel, so there's a civil war. Two different kingdoms. We're going to talk about the northern kingdom here. And Ahab and Jezebel uh, were the king and queen. Jezebel was the power behind the throne. Jezebel was the one who brought Baal worship, idol worship, to the Israelites. And so Elijah was told to go to Ahab and said that there was going to be a drought. We see that in First Kings uh, 17.1. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tish and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Three and a half years of drought. And then God told 
Elijah to run and hide because Ahab was not happy with him at all. So he went, if we go back to our map, down Samaria there, that's where Ahab and Jezebel had their uh, palace. And uh, So God told him to go to the brook Cherith, number three there, uh, in the middle. And remember, he was fed there by the ravens, and the brook gave him water. And it's been about a year and a half there in prophet training in God's waiting room, wondering what was next. And then the brook dried up, uh, so then he had to go all the way up to Zarephath, where you had uh, the widow who took care of him, and the supernatural miracle of the flower always multiplying, and the oil always multiplying, and also her son being resurrected. So he was about probably two years there, so a year and a half with a raven, two years with a widow, uh, that was that was training. Training for what he was about to do, what we're going to see today. So, while he was there with the widow, we read in 1 Kings 18, 1 and 2, After many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, your, go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So God is now going to break the three-and-a-half-year drought to send rain. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. So we go back to our map. He's up in Zarephath with the widow. And God says, go down and talk to Ahab. So he goes all the way to the bottom of the map, down to Samaria, number two there, to talk to Ahab. And we see this conversation. He goes to Ahab. And verse 17 of 1 Kings 18:17 says, When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel, you troubler? Uh, you're, the one, you're the one who's causing problems, roiling people up. In fact, that word uh, means snake or viper. Say, you're a snake in the grass, Elijah. You have caused me so much pain, so many problems over the last three and a half years. You're the reason that this country is under a drought. You're the reason that things are so bad. And Elijah... He comes back at him, full of courage, knowing that his life could end at any time. He says, and he answered, Elijah said, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. He says, Ahab, I'm not the problem here. You are. You're the one who took God's people away from the worship of God to worship the idol Baal. So he lays out a plan. For Ahab, verse 9, Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So you had all these people who were the propaganda machine for Baal worship. And they ate at Jezebel's table. I tell you what, during these three and a half years, Ahab and Jezebel, they ate really well. And all these prophets, they ate really well. They could care less about the people. Isn't that true about dictators we see around the world? They could care less about the people. All they care about is their power and their control of the nation. So what happens is is that there is this national gathering at Mount Carmel. You see here at the map, they're down in Samaria. And Elijah tells Ahab, okay, we're going to Mount Carmel for a contest. And so you see number five, Mount Carmel, right by the Mediterranean uh, Sea there. That's where they go. In fact, here's a picture of Mount Carmel uh, today uh, where they had uh, this big 
contest. Now, I have to give you a little more information about the pantheon of gods back in that day. Now, you first of all had El, E-L. He was the creator. That's what pagans viewed him as. And he was married to Asherah. And Asherah was the fertility god. So husband and wife, you had El and Asherah, and then they had this cute baby boy named Baal. <laughs> and Baal grew up to be the storm god, uh, the god of rain and the god of thunder. Uh, so that was uh, the three different primary gods they served. El was the creator. Asherah was the fertility or the sex god. They came together to bring Baal, uh, the god of the storm. Now, in this next picture, you see an Asherah pole. As you read throughout Scripture, you'll see it talking about Asherah poles. When they were serving idols, they set these Asherah poles up on these mountains in order to bring good weather. And that was, again, the mother, the sex god. Here you see a graphic of a righteous man taking down an Asherah pole that had been set up. So you can imagine them going up on Mount Carmel and all of these Asherah poles covering Mount Carmel because this is one of the centers of Baal worship back in that day. Now here is an image of Baal. Now they had these wooden gods, these wooden idols that they would have in their homes and that they would make sacrifices to and pray to and say, oh, please, especially to Baal. He, he was the main one because he was the storm god. He brought the, the rain. They hadn't had rain for three and a half years, and so therefore they were asking Baal for rain. Uh, I don't know if many of them had stopped asking God for rain, uh, but they were asking anybody that they could find that, that had any type of claim to power uh, for rain here. All right. Now again, the Baal worship system was a sick one. I mean, you made a sacrifice, you sealed it with a sexual encounter with one of the uh, priests or priestesses. <laughs> then on top of that, you had uh, child sacrifice, and it was just sick. It was just a sick thing. But this is what Jezebel, who had grown up in Baal Central, up where the widow lived, and her father had been king of Phoenicia, uh, she had brought Baal worship down into Israel. So what happens is, here you have Mount Carmel, and the whole nation, the whole nation has been called to watch what goes down here. It's a national meeting, and you have 850 prophets, and you have Elijah, and Ahab, and, and then you have all these people, thousands and thousands of people that have gathered to watch this big contest. And this is all part of God's strategy. So they get up on the mountain there, and this is what Elijah says in 1 Kings 18.21. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Now, it's interesting as you look at these words. Uh, it talks about opinion. It talks about a fork in the road or a branch uh, that forks off. And then it talks about limping. That's the idea of kind of dancing back and forth. And that's exactly what you had these Israelites doing. Uh, at one point, they said, okay, we're trusting in God for rain. We're trusting in God for our provision. But then, oh, wait a second. You know, we're going to trust in Baal, too. We're going to cry out to him that he would bring rain. And so they would kind of go back and forth. So what this verse is saying, I'm not doing this just to be a show-off, 
<laughs> I'm really illustrating what the original words say. All right? How long will you go limping? That's the idea dancing back and forth because you got a fork in the road. You've got to decide which way to go. And they're riding the fence. They're saying, well, I want to stay on both because I want to make sure that I have all my bases covered and I'm not sure which one is the right one and it's just a point of indecision. And that's what he says. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? Make a choice. Now we look back at this and we say, oh, those silly Israelites. Come on. Worshiping a little idol? Please. We are so much more spiritual than they. <laughs> well, we might not have little wooden idols at home, but we have idols of the heart. We have things that we worship instead of God because we're all looking for purpose, meaning, and satisfaction in life. And God promises all those things, and He will deliver. But sometimes we get frustrated with God, as we talked about last week, because He doesn't deliver exactly the way we want or on the timetable we want. So we say, there's got to be a better way. So we turn to something else to worship, an idol of the heart, something that we believe will satisfy this deep need for purpose and satisfaction. Friends, the bottom line, the only way to live the Christian life is to make Jesus Christ Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. We're to trust God alone. We're not to trust anything else. Now, we tend to lean on our own understanding and think, well, if I worship this, if I give my devotion to this, that's going to make me happy. Well, that is not true. But we believe it. And we follow that. And we, of course, are disappointed. Well, it goes on in 1 Kings 18.21. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if fail, then follow him. Then the people did not answer him a word. They were totally silent. Because they weren't. They, they were indecisive. They didn't know what direction to go. They were divided. They were half-hearted. Follow what you will. They were worshiping idols. So they had nothing to say at this particular point. And friends, we're going to do something unique this morning as part of our communion service, which will be right after the message or as part of the message. Uh, we're going to ask you, and I'm thinking of my own heart as well, but what are the idols in your life? Now, many times as you grow as a Christ follower, you become a Christ follower, and then at some point you reach a point where you say, Hell, oh, Jesus Christ just doesn't want to save me. He wants to be Lord of my life. How many have had the Lordship decision? Anybody remember anything like that? We're kind of like, wow. Oh, yeah, that, that, that happens many times in your spiritual development. But in reality, really, it's a continual Lordship decision throughout your life. No matter how long you've been a Christian, you still have idols you turn to. Now, you might not be giving all your attention to them, but when things really get tough and when you fall... When you sin, you give yourself to an idol in order to satisfy the needs that God you don't think is satisfied. So we never, until heaven, we're always going to have idols. Now, the difference is that a person who's younger in the Lord has many more idols and is consumed by idols much more than the person who's more mature in the Lord. But all of us have idols. Now, for in this situation, I mean, you had the people of Israel 
and you know, maybe 25% were sold out to Baal. They said, forget Jehovah. He's done nothing for us. They, they followed Ahab and Jezebel, Jezebel, uh, Jezebel uh, hook, line, and sinker. Maybe another 25% really followed Jehovah. But they didn't say anything because they knew they'd be killed. And then maybe about 50% were just undecided because they were consumed with idolatry. They were depending really mostly on Baal and maybe a little bit on God. You see the idea here? It's a progression that happens in our lives. We get more and more of our lives and our hearts uh, to God. So let's just talk briefly about these idols. Now what I want you to do is I want you to take out the white sheet uh, that you received uh, when you came in. And uh, if you so desire, you can use this in order to make a commitment to God today to destroy an idol in your life. And during communion, what we're going to do is, if you so desire, if you feel so led, just don't do it because other people are doing it, but because the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, come up during communion, and I'll explain it later, but you're going to shred this idol. So write down an idol or two or three or whatever, things that you turn to that you're depending on that you should be depending on God for. Alright? And we're going to ask you just to shred it. Put it in the shredder as part of the communion uh, experience. So I'll be thinking about that. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain some of the idols we quickly uh, turn to. Now, it's all about our desires. We have four main desires, okay? Uh, our four main desires are for power, control, approval, and comfort. So the question is, where do we go to have these desires met? Well, we should go to God. We should go to Jesus Christ because He has all the power. If we give control of our lives over to Him, He's going to direct it in the right way. Uh, he's going to give us all the approval we need, our identity in Christ and who we are as children of God, and He's going to comfort us in every situation. But many times we do not believe this. So we seek out after other things to satisfy these needs in our lives. So let's just look at some different ones. Uh, God substitutes, I call them. You're worshiping them instead of God. Addictions. Our speaker this past weekend talked about how he was an alcoholic until he was age 35. He was depending on alcohol to get him through life, and it wasn't working very well. His marriage was falling apart, and Jesus Christ transformed his life. So what are some different addictions? Oh, you've got alcohol, smoking, drugs, gambling, food, work, sex, pornography, shopping, video games, and the list goes on. So as you look at this list, and I would encourage you to take this home and ask the Spirit to speak to you even deeper uh, as you look at these and say, okay, what need am I trying to meet? Is it for power? Is it for control? Is it for approval? For comfort? Certainly addictions, one of the things is comfort. Life is painful, and therefore you turn to your medication of choice being one of these uh, to just kind of escape, uh, to not think about the pain. Uh, but again, this, one of these, if you're involved in these uh, to the level of an addiction, uh, that again is a sin. And that is an idol that you're worshiping, that you're depending upon. And the sin is, in a sense, a symptom. The most important thing you need to realize is, are you depending on this before you're depending on God? What are you depending upon to make life happen in order to get the to be fulfilled. Well, Jesus Christ is the only thing that's truly going to fulfill you. But again, 
uh, our sinful nature takes us in different directions. Relationships are another God substitute. Uh, we look at different relationships, spouse, children, girlfriend, boyfriend, friends, just popularity and prestige in general. So again, what are you looking for here? Desires, power, control. Approval would be a key one with relationships. We want other people's approval. We want other people to think well of us. So we want our spouse to think well of us or our children to think well of us. And again, this causes us to sin because if we're dependent upon the approval of another person, like a girlfriend or boyfriend, and our girlfriend or boyfriend says, hey, listen, you know, why don't we uh, hook up sexually? Uh, and you know that that's sin, but your need for approval is so great you're willing to sin. You're willing to turn from God's way. So this applies to everything. It's the idea that when you put something above God, you're going to sin. You're going to sin because you think that that is going to deliver, and therefore uh, you're going to be willing to cut some corners. Now, again, you think you're a good Christian and everything, uh, but none of us are good Christians, right? We're just sinners, and we need God's grace. But the point here is that what are you truly dependent upon? And if you're dependent upon anything other than Jesus Christ for your satisfaction and purpose and meaning in life, you're off track, and you got an idol that needs to be destroyed. Let's look at possessions uh, real quickly here. Money, big stuff, houses, cars, <laughs> little stuff, you know, free pieces of furniture. They're not so little, but uh, little electronics, phones, iPhones. <laughs> I mean, hey, it can be anything, right? And we're looking for satisfaction. We're looking for our needs to be met outside of Jesus Christ. So the question that we all need to ask ourselves, do we have idols in our lives? So I encourage you to look at your message notes where I have all these listed. And in fact, let's just take a moment to pray right now. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you work in my heart and the hearts of my family here, and I pray that we would be able to discern what uh, it is that uh, we are worshiping instead of you. What are we the most passionate about? What do we get the most excited about? Uh, and again, you've given us many good things in life to enjoy, but sometimes it's so subtle. It's so subtle we don't even realize it, that we're really worshiping something, that we're really depending upon the core needs that we have in life. We're, we're depending on that instead of you. I pray it open our eyes as we continue this time together and they would show us any idols that we have. I mean, some we know we have. There's no doubt about it. Maybe there are some subtle ones that you need to reveal to us that we might uh, repent and, uh, again, turn from. In Christ's name, amen. All right. Again, Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. That's when we get in trouble, right? When we think that we know better than God. Well, when we are engaged in idol worship, uh, God is not pleased as we see in Revelation 3, 15 through 16. It says, I know your works. He's talking to the church of Laodicea, the seven letters of the churches. And there were some churches that had some issues. And he's calling Laodicea on their sin. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I was talking to my boys this past week. What? That's a good illustration of something that's lukewarm. And my uh, one of my sons said, well, I know it's lukewarm milk because you, Dad, and then he was talking to another brother. He said, you guys always leave the milk out in the morning, and I always have to drink lukewarm milk. 
<laughs> I apologize. Uh, <laughs> I hope to do better. But the point is, yeah, you don't want to drink Luke, what, hot milk, that's good, right? Cold milk, that's good. Not Luke, warm milk. Ugh, yeah, you want to spit it out. In the same way, God loves us, but he is trying to illustrate to us how distasteful that is to us when we're, you know, kind of going back and forth and, you know, riding the fence and around the fork and, and we're trying to, you know, depend on several things for what God wants us to depend solely uh, upon him uh, to meet our needs. Well, we move on to 1 Kings 18. Uh, then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left the prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450. <laughs> I'm kind of outnumbered here. Uh, let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. So they're going to set up two different altars, and they're going to make a sacrifice like they both did. Uh, to Jehovah or to Baal, they put the bull on top of it, and they let it sit there. And in verse 24, And you shall call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, It is well spoken. Here's where the contest begins. Who's going to bring the fire down? Baal, God, the God of the storm, the God of rain, the God of thunder. Well, certainly Baal could do that, right? He's got the thunder, a lightning bolt, boom! That thing will be set off, full of fire. And God, well, Jehovah, there is a God. Uh, he's a creator. He created fire. He is many times seen as a fire in the Old Testament. This sounds like a fair fight. So finally they say, okay, that sounds good. <laughs> We're up for that. <laughs> Again, the whole idea here, guys, is that Elijah is trying to win the hearts of the Israelites back to Jehovah. That's what's going on. I don't know. So they set it up uh, in that way. So verse 26, And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. About a time, long time. Saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. So again, uh, they were limping, you know, like I was doing, limping, you know. Dancing. They were dancing around the altar to get Baal's attention. And at noon, this is great, <laughs> at noon, uh, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing. That's the idea that you know, he's lost in a book. He's reflecting. You've got to yell louder because he can't hear yet. All right? He's lost in thought. Or he's relieving himself. <laughs> Don't you love Elijah? Yeah, it, it, it's, I love this passage because, okay, he spends a year and a half with a raven, two years with a widow, and then, boom, he's on Mount Carmel with all of Israel, and he's making cracks like this. All right, why is that? Because the power of God was with him. Because he had no idols in his life, right? I mean, he, was, he had passed prophet school, man. God had empowered him, and he was taking these guys down. So, now, that could also be uh, translated, he was hunting. I like relieving himself better. It's but, or is he, he is on a journey. Or, or perhaps he's asleep. You've got to wake the guy up, all right? 
He's having a great time. <laughs> and said, oh, you think your God is so great, but you've been yelling at him for the last four uh, hours probably, and he's doing nothing. And so they, they crank it up because they know that, that they, they don't have a lot of job security here. <laughs> okay, Baal's got to do something. And, and they cried aloud, so they got louder and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. Whoa, like, that's serious. <laughs> They're starting to slash themselves. And gosh, that, there's a lot of blood here. They were really believing that Hill would do something. And as midday passed, they raved on. And they're in this frenetic, uh, 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 they're in a frenzy, uh, they're just out of control. They're doing anything that they can to get Baal to act. Uh, and But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. My friends, whatever your idol is, if you've identified it yet, you're going to continue to go after it. And it's not working or it's not satisfying you. And what are you going to say? You're going to say, oh, this is an idol. God only satisfies. You know, many times what you're going to say is you're going to say, I'm just not working hard enough. I'm just not putting my, enough effort into this. I'm not serious enough about pursuing this thing because I know there are so many other people around me who seem to have found satisfaction in this idol. You look around at people and they've got what you want. They're experiencing what you want to experience. They have relationships that that uh, you want, and they're not even Christ followers. And you say, why can they have it and I can't? You think they're having satisfaction, and the lie is no, they're not having satisfaction. Maybe momentary, but over the long run, it will be empty. No one will answer. The idol will not deliver. And people spend their entire lives They don't get it into their 60s, into their 70s. They continue to pursue different idols, even Christ followers, and they think it's going to deliver at some point. Just stop it, right? Let's stop pursuing what Satan is offering up to us, saying, hey, just get more money, have this relationship, accomplish this, whatever. It's only found in Jesus Christ, guys. We've got to realize this in our culture, just like Ahab and Jezebel had set up this propaganda machine. Go after Baal, worship Baal and El and Asherah, and, and rain will come and your needs will be met. And it was a lie. And the question that you and I need to ask is, what lie are we believing? What lie are we believing that says we can find satisfaction in anyone other than Jesus Christ? Now, this is so powerful. Okay, so at the prophets of Baal, dancing, just acting like lunatics for like eight hours, who knows, cutting themselves, and the whole nation is up there watching this. And they're saying, this is kind of weird. I don't know how many times they've seen this, but I think it was probably like the worst they've seen. And then Elijah did something. Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. He's got their attention now. Right? And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Jezebel had won 
agenda, and that was to make Baal worship. And she had destroyed that altar of God. And there was no way that Elijah was going to use... Uh, and he could have said, well, they built that altar for Baal, so let's just use that. But no, 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 no. It was impure. He was going to build a new altar for God. So we repaired the altar. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. What was Elijah doing? He was reminding them that their identity was found in Jesus Christ or in God alone for the Old Testament, Jesus Christ for us. Their identity is found in being children of God and not in anything else. That's why he put the 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. You are children of God. And that is where your satisfaction lies. Verse 32, And with the stones he built an altar in the name the Lord. He made a trench about the altar as great as he would, uh, contained two seeds of seed, and he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood, and he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. What's that about? That wasn't part of the deal. <laughs> Elijah wanted to show the people of Israel how powerful God was. He didn't want anybody saying, oh, it was just an accident. You know, it's really been dry for the last three and a half years. <laughs> None of that, okay? He's saturating uh, this altar. Verse 34, and he said, do it a second time. Cover it over again. These were big barrels. They would have to go under the Mediterranean because there was no other water, right? But salt water, and salt water was good uh, for dousing an altar. So they'd pull these big barrels up, and they'd cover it over with water. And uh, and they did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. And they're probably kind of wondering at this point, hey, listen, let's not have an unfair advantage <laughs> or disadvantage. Do it a third time. They did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. So this thing is just saturated. You ever been camping and you're looking for some type of thing to burn and you just can't find everything saturated? This wood was it was not burnable. It just wasn't burnable. It was not going to happen. And then this is really precious. Verse 36, And at the time of the offering... Of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, What did Elijah do? Did he come and did he start to dance around the altar? Did he start to cry out to God, Oh, please, please, God, please, please, for hours and hours? Did he start to cut himself? No, he just said a simple prayer Oh, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things in your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. It be a minute prayer. It's a prayer of faith. Oh God, please. Please, you've sent me down here on a mission. My whole passion, all I've been thinking about the last three and a half years is how can I challenge the people of Israel to come back because that was the prophet's job, right? Challenge people to uh, draw away from their sin and draw close to God. Oh, Lord, please, this is my opportunity. You've given it to me. You've unveiled it to me. Please send your fire down. Make it on, without question that you are the God of fire. You are the God of power. You are the only 
God. Simple prayer of faith. Here we go. Ready? Ready for the really, really good part? Are you ready? I don't hear anybody out there. Uh, very good. Thank you very much. I mean, this is really good. Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell. Just after one two-minute prayer, okay? We've been here all day long. Elijah says, what two-minute prayer? Fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones. It burnt the stones, the nothing, disintegrated them. And the dust. The dust. How can it burn up dust? <laughs> well, it did. And licked up the water that was in the trench. So all I see is I see this big hole without any dust. I mean, God has come down and it disappeared. This huge fireball and all the people of Israel have been worshiping Baal for the last three and a half years. are going like, whoa. Whoa, God, God has shown Himself. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Our sinful orientation, our culture. We get so easily pulled in and think that all oh, oh, this is okay, this is okay, this is okay. And it's not okay. Worshiping idols. And thankfully, God showed up in the Israelites' life. And He had to put on this kind of demonstration to get through to them. And the question is what kind of demonstration of God's power? Is He going to have to show you the truth? That you only can depend upon Him. And I'm sorry to say there might be some of you where He is going to discipline you. He's going to send fire in your life, fire that you don't like, in order to get your attention. Drop the idols, man. Jesus Christ, depend on Him alone. But some of you are are hard-hearted and it's going to take a lot to get you to that point. And I just, my prayer for you, if you're hard-hearted here today and you're trying to block this out and rationalize that, that you would listen. Because my desire for you, as Elijah's desire was for the people of Israel, is that if there are any idols in your life, especially if you're consumed by them, that you would take radical action to get rid of them. Because the only... It's not going to bring any pleasure, maybe momentary, momentarily, but it's going to bring a lot of pain. Verse 40, And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, let no one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Wow, Elijah. <laughs> a year and a half of the raven, two years with the widow, now he's slaughtering 450 people. <laughs> What's the deal with that? <laughs> well, Old Testament was very clear. If a prophet was not speaking from God, you kill them. That's exactly what he did. If you go into the doctor and uh, 
pray this would never happen to you, but uh, they find a tumor, a malignant tumor. What do you say to them? You know, I don't know if that tumor's that bad. Maybe just cut out half of it, and we'll just wait and see. Is that what you say? No. You say you get every malignant cell that you can find in my body. I'm willing to go through chemotherapy to get rid of every malignant cell. I want every cancerous cell out of my body. Why are we not the same way spiritually? Why are we not saying to God, God, remove every, every cell of idol, idol, idolatry in my life? Do what you have to do to remove idolatry from my life because I know it's going to kill me. It's going to cause me pain. That's how we need to do it. So how do you destroy an idol? Well, surrender to Jesus Christ. You can't destroy the idol. Let's be clear about that. <laughs> Jesus Christ is the only one who can destroy the idol. Now you've got to surrender to Him and say, God, i got this idol. Show me what to do. Empower me. Destroy the idol. That's where you start. All your work is not going to do it. You've you got to first depend upon Him, and then He'll tell you what you need to do. All right, second thing, saturate yourself with biblical truth. Let the Spirit speak to you through biblical truth. And the final thing is to surround yourself with a godly support team. It's so important if you have an idol in your life, you need to tell one person, just one person, your wife, husband, a good friend. Uh, and again, as you feel comfortable and you feel it can be helpful, tell others. Because they can keep you accountable. They can help. help. See, this is very, very important. Some people think, well, you know, okay, I've identified this idol. I'm going to shred it up here, and it's all going to be good. The idols are so deeply rooted within our lives, it's going to take a process to remove them. Now, sometimes God you know, delivers us uh, from idolatry immediately, but usually it's a process, and we need support, and we need biblical counsel, and we need Jesus Christ's power. It might take a year, it might take a month, it might take a year, it might take five years to really eradicate these deep patterns we have in our life. We've got to start the process. We've got to start the decision say, I want this idol out. And when you come forward, if you decide to during communion and tread uh, that idol or idols, it's, it's really a, a step of faith. that you're saying, God, I want to destroy this idol. Show me how. That's what you're saying. It's the beginning of a journey, a journey towards spiritual health and dependence upon Jesus Christ. Back to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make you pastry. This is the way we need to live our lives, dependent on Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus Christ is the center of our life and nothing else. So we're going to have our communion service come forward at this time, and they're going to distribute uh, the elements.